Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we talk to visual artists about where they live. Coming up, we hear from a Wallingford-based woman about her work with community members to document their towns by making art. First, when you drive or walk in Hartford, what locations stand out to you? There's the Colt Dome, of course, and the Connecticut State Capitol, and beautiful Victorians like the Twain House and others around the city known as Painted Ladies. But my next guest has documented Hartford beyond notable landmarks. Pablo Delano is a professor of fine arts at Trinity College. His photography book, Hartford Scene, grew out of an earlier exhibit at the Connecticut Historical Society. He joins us now on Zoom. Pablo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. And our listeners can join as well, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. And as we talk uh, throughout the hour, some of Pablo's beautiful images are on our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live, if you'd like to take a look. Now, Pablo, I understand you grew up in Puerto Rico. You worked in New York City before arriving in Hartford in the mid-1990s. So tell us about your first impressions of Hartford when you arrived. Well, yes, I was born in, in Puerto Rico. I, I grew up there, and um, I had uh, many years in New York City before moving to Hartford. And I suppose one of the strongest impressions of Hartford that I had when I moved here was how Caribbean this city was. Um, I saw evidence of of, uh, of the Caribbean practically everywhere I looked. So that was one of the, the, the strongest uh, impressions that I had when I moved here. And of course, going to local markets and uh, restaurants, I felt right at home. Now, when uh, your colleagues and others found out you were moving to Hartford, or even when you arrived here, what did people say to you about the capital city? Well, um, my my very positive impression of the city was tempered by some of those uh, comments, actually. I was warned that it could be dangerous, and I was told that uh, one of the great things about Hartford was how easy it was to leave. This was something I was I was told by, uh, by real estate people as I looked for apartments uh, to live in and by some of my colleagues. Um, so um, it was interesting to me that all of these, uh, this feedback and uh, comments I was getting about the city didn't really match up with my own experience of the city. Mm. And so did those sentiments and your experience with Hartford uh, influence uh, the, how you went about taking pictures of this city, Pablo? I think, I think they did. Um, uh, my, um, you know, my, my take on the city was, uh, was uh, I was um, was uh, tempered by that? I was fascinated by the city, and at the same time, um, I feel I felt you know I didn't come around to photographing the city until I had been here for quite a while, and part of the uh, motivation for that 
was just the need to be active as a photographer. Um, but um, I, I would say that, yes, um, in part, my, uh, my need to, um, uh, my desire to depict the city in photographs had to do with, um, with uh, offering a counter narrative or a counterpoint to some of these other stories that I was hearing. I know I arrived in Hartford in 2007. And so what I loved about your book, Pablo, is I'm leafing through it, uh, seeing some of these buildings, some of these places that you have focused on, places that I've driven by or even walked by as our, our studios are in the Asylum Hill neighborhood. And so tell us more about the process uh, when you were when you were taking these photographs. You know, what were some of the images that you wanted uh, to focus on and, and what did you want to convey in this book? Well, the project more started after I had been living here for quite a while. I had always been struck by the visual beauty of Hartford. I drive back and forth to my job, and uh, during that job, certain places always stood out to me, but they weren't necessarily the most famous landmarks of Hartford. Uh, rather, they were, um, they were places that struck me because of their color or the way they had been adapted by new waves of people coming in. So... Um, I was at a point where I was finishing up a photography project that that uh, involved having to travel and getting on a plane and going far away and spending a lot of time and money uh, on that. And um, I wanted to do something local, something that I could uh, that I could uh, uh, just go out when I had an hour or two free. Uh, and um, that combined with my, um, you know, my interest in Hartford uh, led to this project. The process was pretty simple. I mean, intuition was a very important um, uh, part of the the whole process. I never uh, imagined when I began that it would turn into an exhibit or a book. It was kind of a way to um, uh, understand the city better for myself. So I would drive and just stop wherever I felt like it and get out and walk around and photograph things things that interested me. Those things were... Uh, quite often not, uh, um, you know, the well-known landmarks, but rather uh, uh, manifestations of uh, the Caribbean culture that I grew up in and other Caribbean cultures. I understand uh, before uh, you came to Hartford and, or even focused on uh, Hartford in this book, uh, you had a photography project looking at Trinidad. And so tell me about uh, you know, the, the differences in how uh, you put together uh, that project uh, when we think about the West Indies being very colorful and then thinking about Hartford. People think of this as a, a, a city uh, that at one time had peaked and now um, you know, has really, um, like just like other cities in the Northeast, uh, not really the way they used to be known for its prominence and wealth. And so can you talk about the, the differences? Wow. Well, there's a lot to, to talk about in, <laughs> in your question. Um, you know, for one thing, um, the, the project that, yes, the project I mentioned that I was finishing up was in Trinidad. Uh, one of the first things that happened to me when I, when I started working at Trinity College is that I met a colleague who was doing research in Trinidad. And as someone who was born and raised in Puerto Rico, the opportunity to go to Trinidad was extraordinary because um, I got to ex- experience a different part of the Caribbean, uh, English-speaking part of the Caribbean, whereas I'm from a Spanish-speaking Caribbean. And most importantly for me, 
was the fact that I got to explore a, a, a Caribbean country that had achieved independence and was no longer uh, a, a colony. Mm-hmm. Um, because of all, I, you know, I became fascinated with, uh, with Trinidad um, for all these reasons. And I felt that in order to explore it really in depth and understand this process of nation building and whatnot, I wanted to use black and white. Uh, I didn't feel that color would add anything to that work. uh, And I wanted to be able to go deep into the society and understand all the processes that had uh, unfolded into building this new nation. Uh, Hartford, uh, so so anyway, that project kind of wrapped up and it also uh, came out in the form of a book. Uh, Hartford, on the other hand, I felt that, that the color was really, really important. So just as uh, the content had driven my decision to use black and white in Trinidad, in Hartford, it was also the content and my take on the city. I felt that it was really vitally important to use color because color represented to me this whole process of how the city had evolved. And yes, uh, one of the things that was fascinating about the city was that it had been one of the wealthiest cities in the country and was is now one of the poorest cities in the country. But I also saw tremendous cultural uh, cultural uh, richness, and um, and uh, and beyond that, um, I saw it as a city of where there's a constant ebb and flow of population. So that even though the photographs are uh, you know, even though the subject matter of the photographs is the built environment, um, it's really about the people and how and the people that built and transformed the city and kept it in this process of constant change. Mm-hmm. You're hearing Pablo Delano here on Where We Live, a visual artist and photographer, also professor of fine arts at Trinity College. We're talking about his photography book, Hartford Scene. You can see some of the images at our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live. Uh, to build on what you talked about, Pablo, one of the first images that we have on our website uh, from your book is of Pepe's, uh, a beautiful yellow facade, and above it, uh, apartments uh, in gray. And when you talk about uh, the 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 way that the city has uh, um, evolved and thinking about also the people that have come here over the years. Uh, do you think that's a good example of what you're talking about? I do. Um, you know, when you think of uh, New England, you think of this pur- Puritanism and and uh, a very kind of Puritan kind of aesthetic. And uh, to me, you know, again, going back to the earlier question, I think uh, color is very symbolic in a way of the of the way that the city has changed. And in that photograph, you see both both uh, both worlds combined in one picture. Uh, the upper part of the building is gray. It's uh, it's uh, uh, you know very uh, um, organized in terms of a grid. There's these little you know rows of windows, and there's not much decoration. Uh, it's very reserved. Uh, very muted, at, whereas the lower half is these bright colors. I believe there's some also images of plants and very, very tropical. And uh, so, so I, you know, yes, to me, that, that photograph sort of uh, concretizes that whole dichotomy. I, I also mentioned the Colt Dome uh, at the start of the show. You have a picture of the, the Colt Dome, but it's seen from a different angle. And it's also on our website, uh, again, ctpublic.org slash where we live. Pablo, can you describe that picture for our listeners? That picture um, um, is one of the few photographs in which I actually include one of the well-known landmarks of Hartford, 
uh, you know, in the book, uh, there are other, other places that are not included, but that, uh, that particular, you know, that, that particular um, uh, image, uh, I wanted to, I, I, it was a challenge to me. I wanted to include the, that dome because it's so eccentric, you know, it's Hartford is well known for it, but why in the world is there this, this Russian style dome in Hartford? <laughs> so I went many times and what struck me about that one visit where I took the picture was that there was construction going on. And so, yes, you have the, the iconic dome in the background, but in the foreground, there's a dump truck and there's a big pile of rubble. Um, and so it's not a glamorous kind of picture. It's a very gritty down to earth picture that represents to me this notion of change, this constant change that's happening in the city with, um, with uh, and even though the photograph depicts um, physical, you know, uh, things like, like dirt and gravel and big chunks of cement, to me, it really is more of a metaphor for the waves of population and the constant changes of peoples who come and go through our city. It speaks to a city in flux. I had also mentioned that this photography book grew out of an exhibit that you put on at the Connecticut Historical Society. What was the reaction from people to that exhibit? Uh, this, The way that you viewed Hartford, because as you mentioned, uh, you know, when we think about uh, the city, people coming and going, uh, maybe not thinking about the long-term, long-time residents or the new uh, people who come into the city and then may leave. I'm just wondering what, what you heard from the public. The reactions were really fascinating to me. Uh, and I, I did hang out there quite a bit just to see how people reacted to the images and to see what kind of conversations I was able to overhear. Also, people could write uh, their comments in a in a book that was left there for them to, to you know, for that purpose. And um, it, it really ranged all over the place. Uh, I would have to say, overwhelmingly, the reaction was positive. But within that, there were really uh, quite different. Um, there were older people who recognized uh, landmarks, not only recognized them, but had a personal connection to them. For ex- for example. An older woman was uh, almost in tears when she recognized an apartment building that her father had built. And she noticed that one of the architectural details included some gargoyles that were up near the roof line. And she just went on and on about how, um, about how, how much her father loved those gargoyles and how proud he was of those gargoyles. Um, other people said uh, really beautiful sort of poetic things. Uh, one person was very much inspired by the, the blue skies in the photograph. They felt that these blue skies um, gave them a sense of hope. Um, for me also, it was interesting to hear the critical comments. Um, to me, it, it sort of signaled that the, that the photographs were, were doing their job. Um, some people uh, uh, praised the technical quality of the photographs, but they were very upset that I hadn't included what the, the those things that they identified in a positive way with Hartford, such as um, the Mark Twain House, the Capitol Building, or the beautiful parks. They couldn't uh, quite wrap their heads around why someone would do a photo essay about Hartford and not include those um, landmarks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to me, that was really fascinating. 
That is interesting. You know, I have lived here for a, a, a while now, and you know, when you think about the the thousands of people who come into the city every day to work and then leave, uh, you know, they may have different impressions of of the city again. But you know, looking at some of these photographs of, of neighborhoods and, and streets, uh, you know, the, the vibrancy that has also been brought into the city that can be often overlooked. Pablo, what do you think? Yes, it can be overlooked, especially if you don't take the trouble to go beyond the surface. Um, uh, you know, to me, to me, uh, uh, it's the na- the neighborhoods are wonderful and rich, and and uh, and uh, 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 personally, uh, I I enjoy the process of doing these photographs because it puts me out into the neighborhoods and talking to people. Um, often, uh, if I'm out there photographing. People will come up and talk to me. And as well, also, those encounters don't always start out in a positive way. People challenge me, what are you doing? Why are you taking these pictures? But uh, with very, very few exceptions, the conversation quickly turns around when I tell them that I'm photographing, not because I'm a real estate broker, not because I'm a cop, but because I'm simply interested in the building from a historical uh, point of view, or I think it's beautiful. And at that point, the conversation becomes rich and wonderful and friendly. I've been invited into people's homes and in, invited into churches and that, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, people, I think, appreciate uh, a recognition that, uh, that their place is of value. You're hearing Pablo Delano here on Where We Live, visual artist and photographer, a professor of fine arts at Trinity College. We're talking about his photography book, Hartford Scene. It features more than 150 photographs of the capital city. We'll talk more with Pablo about his work after the break. And we'd love to hear from you, too, as you travel around Hartford. uh, What places uh, stick out to you, Uh, places that have a history or have some kind of of personal connection? Again, the number 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. 
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest today is Pablo Delano, a visual artist and photographer. He's a professor of fine arts at Trinity College. His photography book, Hartford Scene, was a spirit of Connecticut finalist in this year's Connecticut Book Awards. You won't see many people in Pablo's book. Rather, you'll see a focus on buildings from homes and places of worship to storefronts and industrial areas. Again, you can see some of Pablo's photographs at our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live. Uh, Pablo, earlier I talked about uh, the thousands of commuters uh, that go in and out of, uh, of Hartford. Um, something that I noticed, too, is the theme of, of the images where cars uh, were also photographed. Uh, talk through um, those decisions and those images. Well, as you know, very well. Uh, cars are integral and very important part of life in Hartford, partly because um, because so many of them come into the city every morning and leave in the evening. Less now with the pandemic with people who are working remotely, but still there's this massive influx. Uh, you know, I don't know what the statistics are now, but pre-pandemic, the, the, the population of the city practically doubled during the daytime on weekdays with people coming into work in all the office towers and insurance and finance and that, that sort of thing. So, uh, so uh, any, any, any keen observer will notice the role of cars. Cars are also essential for many people who live in the city because public transportation is, is, the, is not the best. So people, uh, even of very limited means, uh, uh, need cars. And anyone who can possibly afford a car has one. Uh, you know, they're helpful in getting your groceries home because imagine trying to bring your groceries in public transportation and whatnot. So there are cars everywhere. And at first I was frustrated a little bit by um, by having cars blocking views and whatnot. <laughs> but I quickly realized that uh, cars were a very important part of the landscape. And I, I uh, thought about how I could um, include them in the photographs in meaningful ways. So one way was, of course, to photograph those places of business that that um, that service cars, garages and oil change places and parking lots and all that kind of thing. But beyond that, I became very interested in using them uh, uh, rather in, instead of thinking of them as blocking my view, uh, actually incorporating them into the composition. So as someone who's ve very visually oriented, I became fascinated with the way that the surface of cars reflect light. Mm. So rather than using, um, uh, rather than taking photographs where you have uh, the typical cliche landscape with a reflecting pond, I thought of the roofs and the hoods and the glass windows of cars as the reflecting ponds of the city. So you'll see a lot of photographs in which I've, uh, uh, you know, with, which I just take pleasure and joy in incorporating these uh, complicated sorts of reflections into the photographs. It's an inherent part of the city, so why not incorporate it? And as a visual artist, why not celebrate it? We're jumping around your book, uh, different sections. I'm thinking of the space between us where there's a red and white pickup parked outside a strip mall called Unity Plaza on Barber Street. Tell us about more about that image and the story of Unity Plaza. Well, um, of course, you know, as a photographer who is doing this sort of work, I'm interested in the history of the city and I, I can't help but research certain areas that I go to and whatnot. I was struck by the name, you know, there's the strip mall. Why would it be called Unity Plaza? 
Um, and then, of course, in the photograph, there's the red pickup truck. But uh, on each side of the sign, there are two businesses. One is a little storefront church, a little with a hand-painted sign, an old, uh, sort of uh, evangelical church. And on the other side of Unity Plaza, almost as though it were uh, a, a balance beam, on the other side, balancing it out is Bank of America. Well, I learned that Unity Plaza was actually built after the 1969 riots in Hartford as a means to address some of the uh, some of the shortfalls, some of the shortcomings in the north part of the city that people were very upset about. Uh, at that point, uh, you know, the, the, the city had experienced a huge uh, amount of what's called white flight. Uh, the, the, the north end of Hartford had been largely Jewish, and most of the Jewish community had left. There had been a lot of influx of African-Americans. Uh, part of the great migration coming up from the south. And the end result was that the north end of Hartford was uh, severely lacking in basic services, uh, supermarkets, banks, and this sort of thing. And that was one of, the, one, one of the things that motivated these protests that led to the 1969 riots. So Unity Plaza was built as a way to unify the city and to satisfy some of, these, um, some of, uh, some of the needs of the, of the north end of Hartford. Um, so that photograph, you know, the more you know about this history of the city, I think the more meaningful it becomes. Mm. And I mentioned that there are very few people that are photographed uh, in this book. Uh, but when we think about, as you mentioned, uh, the population shifting and, you know, the North End once being solidly Jewish, uh, the idea that there are lots of synagogues uh, that are still there and how they've been repurposed. Also, some of the Catholic churches that are no longer active. Can you talk about that, Pablo? I was especially interested in the synagogues. Of course, um, one of the Catholic churches is uh, Sacred Heart, which is a very important, very, very important church in the Puerto Rican uh, community. But the synagogues, there are many of them in the North End. I don't know, maybe 20. Uh, and almost all the buildings are still standing. Almost all of them have been converted. Are, they remain as houses of worship, but they're not Jewish any longer. They're not synagogues. They've been converted to Pentecostal churches or Adventist temples and whatnot. From a visual standpoint, one of the things that interested me was that uh, the new occupants of these buildings felt apparently felt no need to... Um, strip them of the iconography that identified them as former temples. So they're still covered with stars of David and Jewish, I'm sorry, Hebrew writing. Uh, so to me, that was fascinating, you know, and it's a way it, it, it spoke to me of the continuity of history. Mm. And one of those pictures, again, on our website, ctpublic.org, I think of St. Augustine Church and a, a Muslim woman walking across the street, Pablo. That's right. That's in the south end of Hartford. And uh, from what I understand, St. Augustine's Church has been has been decommissioned. It's no longer the, uh, active as a, as a place of worship. Um, and uh, nevertheless, it's a stunning, stunning building with uh, columns and you know, Greek columns in front and whatnot. And uh, it really struck me that there is this formidable building symbol of uh, of the Catholic Church and uh, and a Muslim family crossing the street right in front, uh, right in front of the church, going about their business. It just seemed to me emblematic of Hartford and of these constant flux and of the constant state of flux that Hartford is in. Mm -hmm. 
Um, many homes also photographed in your book, Hartford Scene. There's, we had talked earlier about um, a scene of, of construction and rubble uh, with the uh, Colt Dome in the background. There's another picture, I think, on Washington Street where you've taken a picture of, I think, a, a mansion and uh, before it is a bobcat. Uh, tell us about that. <laughs> I believe that's the Lucius Barber House, which is a very important historical house in Hartford. It's in the Italianette style of architecture. Um, uh, uh, what fascinated me about that was, of course, the building is stunning, but yeah, there's a bobcat and it's in the parking lot of a brand new CVS uh, pharmacy that was built at that corner and the bobcat is moving snow. Um, and again, I, uh, there's another photograph in the book later with a bobcat of a mansion, on, a, a different mansion, a newer mansion on Prospect Avenue. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, to me, uh, there are several things. I mean, first of all, these little bobcats, is, again, symbolism, uh, a symbol of things constantly being moved. I also happen to like the, the color of them, the orange color. You know, it's interesting to think about color and the way color plays out throughout the book as well. Um, not only in the old, the, the, the old Puritan colors of gray and brown and whatnot, but then, uh, with these new populations coming in, um, the explosion of colors. And uh, even though Bobcat is not necessarily associated with those communities, still it adds to that uh, constant uh, uh, dynamic idea of color being present everywhere. Mm. When we think about a city in flux as well and the different communities that have moved here and then also left, maybe come back, uh, you've got a, a picture of one side of a halal grocery and the, and the other side, a Dominican hair salon. When you look back at that picture, uh, Pablo, tell us more about that moment when you took it. Well, it's what you know. It's one picture. It's it's a, uh, uh, you know it's it's one frame. It's one picture, and both of these businesses are exactly side by side. Uh, it's in the south end of Hartford, and of course, it represented uh, to me. It represented you know these two these two communities uh, who find a way to live together. In Spanish, there is a word convivencia, means the the ability to kind of survive and live side by side comes from medieval Spain, which is also very diverse. Uh, so yeah, there's a halal, Jerry's, it's called Jerry's Halal Grocery. And there's a picture of a cow, I believe, on the sign. And right next to it is a Dominican hair salon with the Dominican flags in the window. To me, what made the picture was the little cat that was sitting right in the center of the photograph. And we don't know, we, <laughs> we don't know whether the cat belongs to the hair salon or the halal grocery, but it, it humanized the moment, I thought. We've been talking about some of the history of Hartford, once a very prominent uh, city, as you mentioned, Pablo. And when we think about Hartford, we think of it as the insurance capital. And so some of those prominent insurance buildings uh, are also featured in this book. But, but tell us about how you framed those shots and what you wanted uh, viewers to get out of uh, those particular photographs. Well, you know, the history of insurance in Hartford is, of course, a very, very long history. Um, and we have these, you know, major, major insurance buildings in Hartford, the Hartford and Aetna and Travelers and whatnot. I believe uh, the, uh, the Travelers building downtown actually uh, was built so that it could, uh, so that dirigibles could dock at the, at the very tip of it. 
Um, uh, I'm, um, you know, my my interest in in cities and whatnot uh, uh, sort of goes beyond. Uh, I, you know, as a visual artist, I'm always looking at how I can frame things in a new and interesting way. So, for example, the photograph of the Hartford is um, uh, uh, places it within two shrubs, two shrubs behind the chain link fence, and um, uh, I think when you look at it, it it's almost it, it's almost um, hard to hard to identify it right away. One is struck, I think, by the abstract qualities of the of the photograph. Um, opposite that photograph is a picture of the the travelers, which is contrasted with a tree branch that I happen to find on the street, which is almost the same size as, in the photograph as the tower, a tree branch that swirls around. So I think those photographs really speak to the way these structures get woven into the matrix of our city. And I think also those photographs are a little bit, maybe a little bit ironic, mm. a little bit sarcastic in the way that they're presented. When you look at the Travelers Building, Pablo, what do you think? Oh, I think of a wedding cake. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, a pretty good uh, description of of the building. Again, um, you know, or, or, or a temple, you know, a temple to the insurance industry. Right. It, it, it sort of it sort of has that temple like quality. <laughs> You know, I mentioned that you were born and raised in Puerto Rico. And, you know, one thing that we like to find out when we talk with uh, artists, with uh, writers, is is who inspires you? You dedicated your book to a specific individual. Can you talk about that? I'm so glad that you mentioned that because Juan Fuentes was, uh, was a kind of a, a mentor uh, or a, a, a someone who I, who I looked up to, a teacher. Uh, in his dedication to documenting our community here in Hartford. Um, he spent 40 years uh, um, making a visual record of everything having to do with Puerto Rican life here in Hartford. And uh, he loved the city of Hartford. He came here originally to work in tobacco and became involved in journalism, he was a self-taught photographer. And I thought, I thought that uh, it, it would, it, it, that, uh, you know, it would be certainly uh, the, that uh, his work uh, deserves recognition. And I felt indebted to him as a kind of moral compass, um, uh, which he served for. Uh, and he served that role to many, many people. So it was my honor to dedicate. It was, a, a, you know, a pleasure and an honor to dedicate the book to him. Mm-hmm. I mentioned a Hartford scene grew out of an exhibit at the Connecticut Historical Society back in, in 2014. It's been a pleasure to learn more about um, how you put this uh, this photography book together, uh, Pablo. And I'm wondering if you can tell us about some of the upcoming uh, projects that you have. Oh, sure. Well, um, uh, you know, I was trained as a painter. Uh, all of my uh, education is in painting and drawing. And uh, so um, uh, uh, although I spent many, many years involved doing books and projects in photography, including a project about Washington Heights in New York City, and of course the Trinidad uh, project. Uh, in recent years, I have decided that I, I want to come to terms and I want to engage uh, uh, with uh, my, my homeland in a, more, in a more direct way. Part of this was motivated by 
certain things that have happened. For example, the uh, the debt crisis, the so-called debt crisis, which is basically I consider uh, illegitimate debt. Um, uh, it started really with uh, with the governor declaring that the debt was unpayable. Uh, then we had President Obama impose a fiscal control board, which stripped away really any sense of democracy. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Hurricane Maria and uh, FEMA, FEMA's lack of response and Trump's condescending attitude towards that. All of this pushed me towards doing a new project, which is a completely different project. It's a conceptual art installation in which I uh, appropriate historical images under the guise of a museum. So it's a it's called the title of the project is the Museum of the Old Colony. Um, and it's an art installation. It's not a real museum, uh, and it's not an exhibit of historical photographs. It's a personal way of creating a space, an art installation that um, reflects on the colonial uh, presence in Puerto Rico uh, since uh, 1898, which is when U.S. forces invaded the island. Well, Pablo Delano, it's been a pleasure to hear from you. We'd love to have you back on to talk about um, some more projects in the future and, and just how you're working with students at Trinity. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. That's Pablo Delano, visual artist and photographer, professor of fine arts at Trinity College. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, do you consider yourself an artist or have you experimented with creating art? What inspires you? We'll hear from another artist after the break. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking to Connecticut artists. Have you been inspired to create art that reflects where you live? You can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. My next guest is an artist and photographer who's worked with community members to create art. On Zoom with us, Rashmi Talpade. Rashmi, welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your artistic process and you know how you've gotten involved with the community to inspire them. Well, I, um, what I do is I take a lot of photographs. I mean, you're talking of seriously a lot of photographs. The camera is like a body part to me. And I'm constantly taking photographs of anything and everything around me to the extent that uh, in a social situation, people are talking to me and I'm participating in the conversation. But at the same time, I'm taking photographs and people don't even notice anymore. And um, well, I have a collection of over 50,000 photographs on my computer and um, God knows how much on the hard drives. Right. So, and I get them printed and uh, I cut up the prints and reassemble them to create imaginary worlds. Sometimes they are townscapes, cityscapes, sometimes they are abstract, sometimes they are. I don't know. I mean, just anything. And uh, these uh, photo collages, they sort of reflect my daily life. 
It could be uh, whether I'm traveling or I'm at home. And I use photographs with no hierarchy. They could be from anywhere, from any or any time in my life. And I put them together to create photo collages. So what I, I, it came to me one fine day that I am doing this and I'm enjoying it so much. I think people should participate. People around me should participate in this process and uh, enjoy it and participate in the joy that I experience when I create uh, this uh, art. And so how did you get the community to uh, be involved? Tell us a little bit about that, Rashmi. Yes. So I approached uh, public places like libraries and schools. It started with uh, specifically with Southington Public Schools. And it went on to um, the Wallingford Public Library, then the New Haven Public Library, Essex uh, Elementary School, and so on. I approached them and I said, you know, let's create this community project, a collaborative piece where people send in photographs. They can send me any photographs. It could be a photograph of just their house. And let's print these photographs and have people cut these photographs, reassemble them and create townscapes of their own uh, surroundings. Mm. Can you, Rashmi, can you describe some of the pictures that you received? What did people focus on? People, well, some people send pictures of their own houses, but I also received uh, pictures of, you know, town monuments of important places in town, town hall, the, you know, sculptures around town greens. I received a lot of old photographs, historic photographs, I receive photographs from all different seasons and we just combined them and we created these uh, imaginary townscapes which had recognizable pieces, but they were not geographically accurate. When you look at them from a distance, they look like a photograph of the town and somebody looking at it would think, yeah, it looks like Wallingford. It looks like New Haven, but it's not really, is it? And then they step close and then they look at it and they realize it's a photo collage. Mm. So layers upon layers of images, yes. some they may recognize, others uh, not. But yes. uh, when you think about the last 20 months or people have maybe spent a lot more time where they live, whether it's uh, working remotely or just uh, not really going yeah. anywhere, uh, do you think that, that um, did the ways you collaborated with people, did that change? Were more people in tune with uh, creating, being inspired? Well, in the last... Uh, 20 months of isolation, uh, I have not really done any uh, community projects in person. I switched to Zoom projects with people in which, and those, those were remarkably successful, actually. I sent out Zoom kits, uh, uh, sorry, photo kits to people who participated and uh, guided them on Zoom about how to create their own collages. I mean, I was astonished how successful that was. But to get back to the collaborative uh, uh, projects, people, I mean, I truly believe that in a public art project, 
if people participate, they have a feeling of ownership. So when they pass the, you know, pass by the project in the public place, uh, for example, uh, the town of Wallingford, I see it in the library. People passing by, they'll say, oh, that's my house, or I, I gave in that photograph, or I cut and pasted. So people feel, you know, they, they truly feel that they have created the piece. And these are people who have never had an experience of creating art. And it is so important to them to see part of their creation in a big public art piece. I like hearing that. So people that may not have formal training like you or a previous guest, but who mm-hmm. uh, can think about being creative, that, that art is around us and, and they can be inspired by even something that they see every day, Rashmi. Yes. I mean, that's another belief of mine. Art is everywhere. All you have to do is look for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the collaborative community projects it sort of introduces that idea to people. It also makes people realize that they can actually work on a work of art. They don't, I mean, talent or training and all, it's good enough, but talent is, it, it, it exists within people. I don't believe there's any person who is not really talented. There is creativity within everyone. It's only a matter of tapping it. Mm. And uh, I think that's what the collaborative projects do. You're hearing Rashmi Talpade here on Where We Live, an artist and photographer based in Wallingford. So you were mentioning these collaborative projects. What are you working on now? Well, right now I have a project which is uh, called Modern Archaeology. What I do is I take photographs of grunge, broken pieces, rust, uh, things around which are not really considered uh, photogenic pieces. And I'm creating this collection of uh, eight inches by eight inches pieces, which are, uh, which project an archaeological dig of the future. So imagine if uh, our civilization were to be uh, dug up by archaeologists, say, thousand years later, what would they find? I think they would find a lot of real garbage. They would find uh, pieces of plastic, broken pieces of metal. And do you think that they will label it and put it in museums in, as art, like we put the Greek pottery? Just think about it. So. These pieces, these eight by eight pieces, and I've made 200 so far, and I hope to make much, much more. They are um, displayed in, uh, in various different places. I have uh, exhibited different collections from that same uh, series in uh, the gallery at Choate, in, um, in New Haven, Right now, they are on uh, display at the Loomis Sheffy School. They have an art gallery there. I have also displayed them at the Hartford Public Library. And every time I display them, they are site-specific. They will go in a different arrangement. 
and they represent an archaeological dig. So it's as if, you know, people are digging into the walls and all these pieces are coming forth. Mm. So that is my current project. Sounds like you have connections uh, to many different uh, places and communities, Rashmi. I understand you also did a series for Yale New Haven Hospital's Pediatric Oncology Unit, where you're creating beautiful panels depicting the four seasons. And just briefly, also doing some work with New Britain. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So uh, this was in, I think, 2017, the new uh, the Yale New Haven Hospital they have a program for arts called Arts for Healing. And they work with uh, patients and they give them, uh, they have an artist in residence who works with patients and we do uh, art projects, which is, I mean, the specific one, the, the, the specific group that I worked with were the, was the pediatric oncology department. And that particular project was such a learning process for me. I worked with communities in uh, libraries, senior centers, schools, but working in the hospital, I'm not a trained medical person. And working with patients, it taught me, it taught me to be a different person. I think it made me a better person working with patients. And again, we collected works from the Yale uh, community. We got beautiful, beautiful pictures of flowers, gardens, and we got (laughs) travel photos. We also had a picture of the Great Wall of China, which made its way into one of the gardens. The Yale Hospital has what they call the healing garden in the Smilo Center. And that is based on that, we uh, adopted the garden theme. And then being New England, we decided mm-hmm. to do uh, the four seasons. Well, Rashmi, so Rashmi we that, have four panels of the four yeah. seasons. Rashmi, that sounds uh, really interesting. And I want to make sure that our listeners know to learn more about your work. Uh, we have a link on our website, ctpublic slash where we live, where you can find out more about Rashmi and the collaborative projects as well as uh, the other uh, art that she's created. Rashmi Talpade, artist and photographer, thank you for joining the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Our theme music is composed by Hannes Brown. We hope you have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.